Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello panel. Joining us today, it's DW. Stella! Greg. Hello, there. Siobhan. Hey, everybody. And uh, joining us for the first time in a while, it's Axel. Hello! Welcome back, Axel. Thank you very much. Lovely to be back. Yes. And uh, I'm, I'm very glad you are back for this episode, because this episode we're going to be discussing um, crossovers and inspirations from real-world religions and myths in The Wheel of Time, uh, which uh, it, it, I've, I've known you for quite a while, Axel, and you have a very broad depth of knowledge on, on a lot of subjects, and I know this is one that you, you know quite a bit about, at least as far as myths and religions goes. Yep. Yeah, it, it's always been a thing that's uh, fascinated me since I was very little. First, we're just going to discuss kind of what, what our background knowledge is in, in this kind of thing. If for myself, much like Axel, um, I have been really interested in, in mythologies and religions of, of various people in the world from a cultural perspective and from a storytelling perspective. Um, I always have been, so... Finding these things in the Wheel of Time is 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 one of the reasons I love the Wheel of Time so much. Um, and yeah, DW, uh, why don't you give us some of your background in in mythology and religion? Uh, sure. So on the religion side, I was raised a Catholic. Um, I in my earlier years decided that when oh, I found out there were other religions out there. Um, not necessarily from my family's nudging, but I went out and studied as many as I could get access to and kind of realized that there were some themes that were similar, there were some themes that weren't, and I kind of weighed and picked what I wanted from each that felt true inside, followed that, and kind of have my own. But I do have some knowledge from the studying I did of them. I don't know that I'd put myself as a scolar on anything, but I, I, I'm aware and, and uh, have some, some decent knowledge of, of religions other than the one I was raised with. Um, and as far as mythologies, I've been fascinated with. I grew up with Greek mythology, and uh, of course that extended into Roman mythology very easily. Some Egyptian mythology, some um, uh, Nordic mythology, definitely fascinated with that stuff. Uh, only dabbled in Britannic or, um, is that the right term? Britannic mythology? Britannian mythology? Uh, sure, we'll go with either or. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but dabbled in those also when I took a class on Japan and England, it compared the two, and it went into the mythologies of the two and the similarities between those two mythologies that separate from um, mythologies that other, like, for instance, that those are two that have a sun goddess and a moon god, mm -hmm. while a lot of the other mythologies swapped those genders. Um, but anyways, uh, so yeah, I've got some. And Arthurian legend and, and stuff like that. Fascinated by it. Uh, Greg, why don't you give us your background? Uh, again, raised Catholic, was an altar boy, gave it up for Lent several years ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got, uh, you know, I've got, I've got family that's still active in the church. They're deacons. Um, on, my, on my wife's side, uh, there's a lot of activity in the Orthodox Church. So um, I'm starting to learn. A bit about that uh, as far as mythology is concerned uh, you know just your your standard Greek and Roman stuff that they teach you in school you know um, in US schools at least uh, you know and then some of the the folk mythology around uh, South Louisiana where I grew up so 
your, your loop gurus, your kushmals, your stuff like that. So, Ooh. Well, I want to t- chat with you after this podcast on some of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Axel, why don't you go a little more in-depth into to your knowledge base and, and, and such? Like pretty much everyone in the UK, uh, I was raised in a, with a, let's say, Church of England Christian-ish environment because it's there, but I decided about the age of eight that it was all garbage and that I was an atheist, but found the whole concept of religion really interesting and mythology and stories really, really cool too. So I read lots um, and that sort of interest developed through like role-playing games, like because that's an opportunity to have kind of like religious beliefs into to play within them and to play around with them the gygaxian religion as it were <laughs> i would say not gygaxian because gygax really did not want to have religion in uh, his true. game good point like if you look at the way that it hits in D D, um the original idea with clerics is that they got healing magic where did it come from dumpty dumpty dum you mean I have to have gods here because I've got clerics up bollocks? <laughs> um, <laughs> Oops, I, I, I accidentally knocked um, the axle off path. That, that was my bad. <laughs> uh, it's an okay. axle. Um, <laughs> but one of, um, my, one of my favorite role-playing games is a game called RuneQuest, which is a setting where magic is everywhere and gods were real and it's incredibly built around mythology the uh creator of the game um got into writing stories and he was writing these fantastic stories but he had no idea about the existence of like tolkien or howard or any of the other of of, like fantasy authors his entire background came from reading mythology so when he turned this into games um it was it's it's got it's it's an approach to religion is very much like um derives from like babylonian sumerian greek like it's a bronze age setting and so it has all of that mythology kind of it's it's using that as a basis and then developing its own and that was kind of like this is really cool and i'm loving what they're doing within this game and i want to learn more about where this is coming from and the real world analogs so kind of all tied together and then i got i i was involved with like uh neo-paganism back in and in the late 80s um, so that kind of led to, again, learning more. Um, and so I have varying degrees of knowledge of, like, your, your like Babylonian, Sumerian, Greek, uh, Roman, uh, Germanic, uh, Norse, which are similar, but not quite the same. And, and Arthurian, again, kind of, like, permeates everything. Um, and again, there's a fantastic role-playing game called King Arthur Pendragon, which is the whole story, which is created by the same guy who did RuneQuest. So <laughs> it again ties into that kind of mythology and it's, it's doing the so, thing. So bringing this rant um, all the way back full circle. To... Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all, but also like, not just that, cause there's also like, like hit, like Hinduism and, um, and, and Taoism, um, like Indian and Chinese mythologies. Um, and also, like I've spent time, like I've traveled in like the Middle East and stuff. So, and and during that time, learning about Judaism and Islam and a bit of Zoroastrianism, and you know, and and then other things just come up. And if it's basically, yeah, if it's there, I'm interested, and I've probably read something about something, but not as much as other people. <laughs> 
All right, and follow that one up uh, if you can, Siobhan. Uh, <laughs> I know this is going to be a tough job. I think um, I know something about some things, but not as much as other people. It's probably about as good a summation as any. Um, so I was raised <laughs> non-practicing Catholic. I think um, I got as far as my first communion and discovered that because I was designated female, I wasn't allowed to be pope, and said, "Well, to hell with that." <laughs> um, <laughs> I uh, did spend quite a bit of time in neo-pagan circles, so most of my understanding of religions is kind of filtered through modern practitioners who are, I think, maybe not um, as keen on historical accuracy as maintaining the spirit of the practices, so... Um, the, you know, the drama we, is, is important to the whole pageantry of the situation. Yeah, but, you know, things like human sacrifice are considered gauche in this time and age. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm just so, saying, if you want to add more drama. You know. <laughs> human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Yeah, so, so you know, a little bit about, uh, as Greg said, you know, Greek and Roman are taught in schools, a little bit about Norse, a little bit about... Um, you know, voodoo, voodoo and Santeria, just because I knew I uh, was spending time with people who practice those religions, a little bit about the Celtic recreations, a little bit about a lot of um, different mythologies, but not, I would say, a lot about any individual one. So, yeah, uh, with that information about our backgrounds, we're just going to dive right into this subject. Um, and I'm going to hopefully not just lay these things out for you. I want to see if, if I can get you there on your own by laying out the breadcrumbs to get there. So let's just start at the top with the main mythology of the wheel of time, the wheel of time itself, the ages coming and passing and being reborn age after age. What does that feel like? Reincarnation. Yeah. Reincarnation, Hinduism. Yeah. It seems, it seems to kind of, have some parallels to that there's also an inter interesting scientific theory that can kind of uh be paralleled in this of that the universe expands 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 and then it contracts back in on itself and it expands again the the recurring ages is it seems to be a common theme in a lot of religions the cyclical nature of time where uh, like hinduism is the obvious example that everybody knows of but one of the um um, we were we were talking before we started recording about how much we know about old Celtic mythology, and one of the things I found really interesting is when you go back into some of the very old stories, they also have a cyclical pattern. You have ages in Celtic mythology as well. You have ages in a lot of Eastern religions. It just seems to be like this repeating pattern in a lot of world religions that things happen, they stop, they start over. Eastern Orthodox has a similar kind of thing. One of the, the, the refrains that, uh, that a lot of the prayers have is, uh, something in ages upon ages. So, uh, that, you know, not necessarily the same thing as like specific, you know, areas of time, but that's just a, uh, that's something I've noticed that is there. So, 
not to get too philosophical, but I'm curious if it has something to do with the fact that we've already seen cycles of the day repeats and we see that the sun does kind of the same thing and you can do the same thing with the year and that the temperatures seem to be same year to year and people are using that to predict things and that eventually maybe became something along the lines of, well, clearly every thousand years repeats. We just don't have you know information that goes back that far, but we can use that to predict what's going to happen in a thousand years from now kind of thing. So I'm curious. Yeah, people, people in general like nice round numbers. Yeah, yeah. And patterns. Yes. And patterns. Yeah, our brains are all about finding patterns wherever we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost like that pattern that that wheel weaves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can, just a little background on that. Uh, the whole concept of cyclical time is, it's pretty much was birthed in Hinduism, but it is common to many other religions, including Jainism, Sikhism, Buddhism, um, all of which kind of uh, sourced from Hinduism, as it were. Um, it's also known uh, that the uh, Kiero people of Peru and the Hopi people of Arizona also believed in a cyclical nature of time, a, a time as a wheel, as it were. That is where I see a lot of that information coming from, especially because of the rebirth angle. Right. Um. Uh, especially in in Hinduism and in Buddhism, they they definitely believe in that reincarnation and that trying to to live a better life on each of your lives kind of situation. And that's something which seems feel, seems very different in the approach in Wheel of Time, where the way it's presented it seems more like yeah, your soul gets recycled. But, like, it's a thing, it's not you that's recycled. It's just that souls are a thing, there is a finite re- number of them, so that this soul dies, it's going to have to come, you know, when there's new life, there's, there's a new one. But so, so they run the electromagnet over the soul before they put it into a new one? Okay. All right. <laughs> kind of, yeah, like, there, there, there's, you know, like, the re- like, in, um, like, the idea within, uh, Within within most Hin- so Hinduism is complicated because its its existence is really a product of colonialism, um, and an integration of a whole lot of related religions. So it wasn't really a coherent thing up until the like late nineteenth twentieth century ish. But allowing for that, um, the idea is that the soul is progressing towards. Um, a perfect endpoint where it can be divorced, for, where it can leave the the crappy material world behind, right? And each life you are supposed to be, get, you know, you're you're supposed to be getting closer to that. Um, whereas from the wheel of time, the impression that I got was, you come back, you die, you come back, you die, you come back. The soul is <laughs> like a, a body part as opposed to an, yeah. the whole of the core of the individual. That, that's that's really a very interesting comparison that you just made there, and it's going to be very, very interesting to uh, the book readers. I'll just say that. Okay, we nailed that one. Next. <laughs> <laughs> that, it also reminded me, because that, that kind of hit on the, um, the, dark, like the dark friend who was talking about, like, I want to get off the wheel. The, the reason that I'm siding with a bad guy is because I want my soul to fucking end and for this all to be over not to cut and for us not to have to come back again and again and again and again and do the same thing over and over and over again. 
you know, which is like a criticism that some people make around the idea of heaven and immortality and existing forever. And who wants to do that? Yeah, I, I certainly don't want to uh, exist in a place forever with the people that I went to church with. That sounds horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that so that kind of ties in the the Buddhist idea that um, of becoming that 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 the soul has the ability to step off the wheel. That you achieve enlightenment, you no longer have to be a part of the the reincarnation cycle. It's like I passed, I graduated. Come on, yeah. <laughs> what what? Sh uh, so so you get a square hat when you graduate, and get an octagon hat when with the doc uh, doctorate or something. What what shape is the the leaving reality? Dodecahedron graduation. Uh, okay, <laughs> you, you get a twenty sided die shaped hat. Exactly. Yeah, I, I want I want a propeller beanie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so digging further into some of this, just base stuff, um, we've got the wheel, which is being driven by Sidene and Sidar pushing and pulling against each other. Um, I don't think I need to say any more to find some more interesting commonalities there. Well, we specifically discussed at the beginning, the yin yang and, and that kind of duality, which exists in a lot more than just the yin yang concept. But it's funny that the, the yin yang concept gets applied to most things that have that duality. <laughs> it's, yeah. mm -hmm. It seems to be the primary representation of that duality and gets used in like so many different cultures now because it's become so mm -hmm. accept accepted. I think because it has a really good uh, logo. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah, marketing is everything. It's their marketing yeah. and graphics department were brilliant. Yeah, branding is on point. It's all about the branding. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, but I, it, it just, it's so easy to say, you know, so duality, how, you know, this is a, can you think of a better visual representation? Not yeah. at all. And they, and they definitely use the, Taoist symbol in the Wheel of Time for like when you see the the dragon's claw, which is just the male energy. Um, mm -hmm. It looks like half of the Taoist symbol. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and the same for the flame of Tarvalon, which is is the feminine symbol, which is the the teardrop with the point up, as it were. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, one interesting uh, difference that I notice is uh, the the traditional yin yang symbol that we know of has a dot of the opposite color in the center of each side, and the Wheel of Time sighting Sidar logo does not. Mm -hmm. But they've also made a point to separate that you know, like the the I said I cannot access the other the male side of things like they, there's no crossover that line is is more where i think the the dao symbol is a little more uh fluid i think it was in one of the previous panels the question was raised are is the complete separation of the two types of um source part part of how the magic works like that only women can channel one and only men can channel the other? Or is it a cultural expectation? It, this particular kingdom believes it, and so that is how all channelers operate. Uh, totally makes a good point. And with the idea that the, the, the symbolism that they're using is also cultural, 
then it would probably follow the cultural belief. Yeah, so them exactly. Not having access to it, yeah, it would follow it. They they create the symbols because that's how they believe it works, and it works that way that way for them because that's what they believe. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So self fulfilling prophecy in in the mo- most literal sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, iconography driving the uh, driving the conversation. I was also you know wondering if it could this it, that could be a consequence of. Uh, the curse on magic is that it's the reason that male magic is is fucked is because that connection has been broken, so that they are now two wholly separate things. Yeah, so it's not that it's really one source. You know, is it is it that's the question? Is it really one source, or is there? You know, did did the taint create a completely separate? source you know is is the problem with the source of the magic itself or with the uh the interpretation of the of the magic through the through the user see i I don't know if this is in any way accurate but the imagery i got in my head recognizes not not uh probably how it exactly works but i kind of viewed it like uh two faucet taps the hot water and the cold water and Mm -hmm. something has happened to the hot water so if you turn on the hot water stuff, it comes out with oil and gunk and stuff like that. Turn on the cold water, it's fine. Mm. And they're, pre- they're both coming essentially from the same thing, but they're using different pipes to get there. And yeah. somebody's done something to one of the pipes. Well, at the very least, you know, one is cold, one is hot. So one has gotten something changed along the way. You got your, your water heater that heats up the hot water. So there is the change there. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's gunky. It's just that it's different. Well, no, the reason why I was using that is that that's what the their their belief that the um, the dark one did when they tainted the male source is essentially they ju- jammed some stuff up the hot pipe that's causing the hot water to come out worse than it was before. By the way, that's a great name for an album, Jamming Stuff Up the Hot Pipe. So so you're saying the taint has something to do with shoving up something up the hot pipe? Is that what I'm saying? <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. That is, that I, is, I, you I, can quote yeah. me on that. All right. So, so, the, okay. so the, the idea is that um, <laughs> the one power is a water reservoir, and then coming out from there are two pipes one is the male water pipe and the the other the, is the male pipe and the other one is the female pipe and somewhere in the male pipe is like a whole bunch of gunk uh, of oil and gunk and stuff and that's why men's magic is is screwed yeah that's that's the, that's the how my head has i like i like that it. i, I that, <laughs> mm-hmm. that that is a very cool um analogy i like that interesting so, so I'm, I'm loving where you guys are going with this this is amazing uh, please keep going. Sorry, I'm fixated on this idea that that um, men could potentially access um, clean power if if they were aware that that was even a possibility. And I'm thinking about the imagery of Loghain channeling, where his magic showed as a mix of black and white. Mm-hmm. And he was... Not only the most powerful male channeler they had ever met, but also someone who was, to a certain degree, able to resist the corruption. Well, what we clearly need is a source plumber. 
<laughs> and they need to roto root the male side. <laughs> oh, to get, basically get up in the pipes there and clean them out, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so it needs to, to get up and get up the hot pipe to clean out the tank. Is that what it means? <laughs> uh, we are mature. Yes. Uh, hey, 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 this is this is a very serious philosophy discussion. All right, we're, we're, we're serious scholars. Nobody is meaning any entendres of double or third or triple uh, variety. No, of course not. Of course not. This is a serious sober podcast. <laughs> Just uh, well, you guys might be sober. I don't know. I'm sober. Yeah. You don't know me. Hey, have you heard about our sponsor, Four Cats Boutique? So I just pulled up their website to have a look right now, and I am seeing bookmarks, earrings, uh, jewelry, pr art prints, um, cards. I see uh, Fantastic Four. I see Moon Knight. Wheel of Time is here. Star Wars. Lots and lots of fandoms. Lots of really gorgeous artwork. Lots of collectibles. Things to hang on your wall. Definitely a site worth checking out. And of course, Lord of the Ring things as well. So definitely check them out. That's Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's number four, cats with a K. Number four, Four Cats Boutique. Check them out. I have new respect for DW's job. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just to, to stay on, on Hindu mythology for a moment, I do want to point out that uh, Robert Jordan... When he was in Vietnam, he had a nickname, which was Ganesha. Hmm. Oh. Um, because uh, Ganesha is, is known for removing obstacles. And apparently that is a he was cool very, nickname. Yeah, apparently he yeah. was very good at removing obstacles. Um, hmm. I don't want to necessarily think on what that might mean, but yeah. Um, as well as there's another Hindu connection in there, which is around the, the mythology around the original dragon. Uh, the original dragon had to save the world by destroying the world. I'm trying to think of the the the, the god there. It's uh, Shiva would be the god you're yes, looking for. Yes, yes, Shiva the destroyer. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah, Shiva, kind of the alpha and the omega, um, god of destruction, but also god of rebirth at the same time. Um, and and other interesting things about Shiva is. Uh, uh, Shiva is alternately depicted as male or female and, and mm -hmm. apparently contains part of both the masculine and the feminine, um, light and dark, good and evil. Um, it, it, it is a, a god of duality in, in many ways, which also seems to be a central theme in this universe. Um, and then to move on uh, with that, still talking about the original dragon, um, I just want to point out a few things. Uh, the original dragon uh, lived in a time of peace and prosperity and abundance. Um, so a golden age. Where, where war was unknown and, and crime was unheard of. Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yep, yep. And, yeah, and, and then, there was a, then there was a temptation that destroyed everything. Mm-hmm. Was oh, it a temptation was based on knowledge? It was the the fight that they were tempted to do and were told not to do. Though interesting, uh, it often gets blamed in the in the Catholic religions or Christianic religions. Christianic again, many words. 
um, religions that uh, Eve is the reason that the apple was eaten, whereas this is the women were going, no, don't go do this. No, we have to do this. And the dragon went off and fought him, and that caused the, the problems. Mm, nice flip there. Wasn't this... This was more, though... Um, so, the good-evil dynamic here is much more aligned with uh, the Zoroastrianism. Like, there are two... Um, there, are, there are two equally powerful divine entities. One is light and one is darkness as opposed to the Christian one where there is a good God and like then there's some weird shit that's been put in the way that is really difficult to justify, um, which has a lot to do with the history of Christian, uh, of Judaism starting off as the worship of a desert war God um, who was the son of... Uh, Another god, um, Yahweh's the son of Ael, uh, 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 if I remember rightly. Um, hence the name Israel. Is Ael related to Jorel in any way? <laughs> Probably. I'm guessing they okay. were cousins. Um, oh, all right, all right. But um, so, we're, so I don't know how familiar folks are with, with Zoroastrianism. I mean, not I guess very. not very. Okay. I've heard the term before. Okay, so. It is a it is the uh, it's a religion from uh, Persia slash Persian Empire that goes back uh, before every it's the first it is a very very old religion and it is the wellspring for all modern monotheistic religions. Its belief is that there are two gods: one is good, one is bad. Um, the good God created the universe. Bad God is trying to fuck it up. Everything that people think, do, think, 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 do, and say, is has ha, um is kind of changing the balance. Is pushing in one direction or the other, you know. Um, and obviously that you know because pretty much everyone is going to worship the good God. No one is actively going to worship the evil God, but evil happens, and people so people do evil things. Um. And this is all leading towards a, a you know, a final conflict. Um, and also, which I think ties into, I think there's a resurrection component. That was fascinating. And literally before that conversation, my, the extent of my knowledge of Zoroastrianism was Zul, Gozer, and uh, <laughs> Vince Clortho. The, the, the gatekeeper and the key master are, are central figures in this mythology. And I really yeah. don't know how factual any of that was to the actual religion, <laughs> or if they just heard the term. Like, I don't even know if the names apply. I don't even know. If, <laughs> I, I, I know that they used it to describe it, that it was Zoro Zoroastrian, but I don't know that it is. Um, so the the similarities I'm seeing with what Axel was just saying are are obvious um the the idea of a creator and a destroyer um one who creates the pattern one who attempts to destroy it which sounds very very similar to something that that we're seeing here um it is more or less the creation myth of of the wheel of time is the creator and the and the dark one the idea that the dark one is an equal very much so because in in the christian religion um, you know, the devil is just a fallen angel. Right. 
which means the most powerful he could be is an angel, which are very mm -hmm. powerful, but not as powerful as God. When I wonder culturally if that came out of the idea of we wanted to give hope and we didn't want to show that evil was on, on the same level as good, like where the yin-yang or any of those things show kind of equal portion of things, they wanted to create an imagery of hope that good is actually more powerful, so it has a better chance, and that's why you should worship that side of things. So I want to grab onto what Greg was just saying there about uh, fallen angels, um, because I think that might be another angle you can look at the Age of Legends and the breaking from. Um, not just necessarily being booted out of Eden, but being booted out of heaven. Interesting. Um, and, and I'm going to lay out a few breadcrumbs for you here, um, but the original dragon's name was Luz Theron. Oh. <laughs> is, there, is there a concept of heaven in the Wheel of Time? Like is is there a paradise, a, a heaven, uh, something uh, that people uh, are trying to strive for? No, no, not okay. not as such. It's okay. it's just it's just the the perpetual cycle of rebirth. Got but it. but they definitely had like a golden age. Like you see, yeah. the flashback where you have flying cars is our as I said is our modern is our current symbol of a, a futuristic yeah. modern society where we have universal health care and social justice. If you have a flying car, then you probably have Starfleet and you're doing well. Yeah. 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 Got no nationalism. It's utopia. Um, so, Siobhan, you, you sounded surprised when I said that the original dragon's name is Luz Theron. What, what did you hear there? I hadn't made the connection between Luz Theron and Lucifer, the one who, who um, basically wrecked everything, <laughs> you know. And, the the and, one who basically wrecked everything because of his pride. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and sent us all back to, you know, the pre-industrial age. Yeah. Ah, I um, had not made that connection either. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and and this will make the connection a little more obvious for you. Uh, one of Luz Theron's titles in the Age of Legends was the Lord of the Morning. Mm-hmm. Ah. Lucifer the Morning Star. Yeah. 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 I, I, Luz Theron is not as obvious as what was the one from Angel Heart that uh, De Niro movie, Lewis Cipher. Yeah. <laughs> It's not, <laughs> a little too on the nose. Yep, yep, yeah, my not, Lou, not quite Lou, as obvious. My friend Lou over here, Lou Cipher. Yeah. <laughs> Lou Cipher. Lou totally different and totally incomprehensible. And yeah. Lou Cipher <laughs> and his friend, yeah. Mr. Alucard. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on. This it was this was the 80s. It had to be comprehensible to people who are high on coke. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, you got to sell the story to the to the studio. So, yeah. <laughs> It is interesting, though, that that um, like even dragons are are seen as bad things, and and often like that imagery is more associated with hell and fire and brimstone and that kind of stuff. In, in the so, Western tradition, in the Western, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's interesting that there that in this story, the person who's based on that is also called a dragon, and that kind of, and which is different from your Eastern uh, interpretations of, uh, of of the dragon as more of a neutral uh symbol well dragons that are both good or evil there are there are neutral ones too but there are some that have actually i'm, I'm sorry but fin fang foom is just straight evil i'm, I'm not gonna believe <laughs> hey but if fin fang foom's an, an alien 
And Van Gloom's an alien. So, yeah. Not a real dragon. So Luz Theron was an alien? That's what we're supposed to design from this? Uh, yeah, that, that's where we're chariots going. Chariots of okay. fire. <laughs> or no, chariots of the gods. That's the name of the Chariots of the gods, book. yeah. Yes, where all of the like, technology what running Englishman have to do with that? <laughs> yes, wrong chariot. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to jump back on dragons and westernness, um, it's not a straight-up thing. Like the, the Welsh red dragon being the most obvious example. Um, I don't know if you guys know that. So the Welsh flag is a red dragon on a white and green background. And the red dragon is a symbol of Wales who fought off the white dragon, which was uh, a symbol of the Anglo-Saxons. Um, so the red dragon is a hero to the Celtic Welsh during the like pre-Arthurian period. And um, dragon is also a term that was used to refer to war leader. Um, and that with the High King being the Pendragon. Yeah, so dragon comes from the it, from the ancient Welsh for also meant warrior, and pen means chief. So dragon is chief warrior. So in, well, no. So Pendragon is chief warrior. Dragon is warrior. Dragon is chief warrior. Dragon itself is just warrior. Okay. Again, if we take that into apply that kind of information into Wheel of Time, then the dragon chief warrior, right, against the big bad guy. Um, I just want to take a minute here to to pause and point out that we have barely gotten through the the base mythology of this of this land. Um, one in about two or three points from their, their far distant history. And how many uh, uh, world mythologies have we touched on already? Yeah. <laughs> this, this you're, you're starting to learn this right here. This is the reason why I am constantly rereading these books mm -hmm. because this stuff is found all the way through the books, everywhere you look. And every time I do a reread, I find more. So we're finding your nerd source. Yeah, yes, We're, you're you're getting into the deep, deep part of these books that really scratches my itch. Really, mm -hmm. really gets up my hot pipe, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> well, not 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 to uh, try and uh, look a subject change, um, <laughs> but to go back to what Axel was saying about the um, the Pendragon and that kind of stuff. It is also interesting that even within that. You know, when you talk about the Red Welsh Dragon, there's still a white dragon that's the evil side. There, you know, when Pendragon and the Arthurian legends, you also still have the fight against the Green Dragon. Um, so, I mean, there, there still is that idea that dragons are not necessarily perfectly good. There are still right. amazing warriors, uh, to mm -hmm. use the dragon term as in its translation, in on both sides. It's just we have the best one. Yeah. Well, like in the, yeah, within the, um, within the, the, the world that, Welsh myth, it's the dragon is essentially uh, um, the spirit. Essentially, they're a symbol of of uh, a, a, a you know of, of a nation of a, a grouping or whatever, right? So they aren't inherently good or evil. You know, it's just like their their good or, or evilness is is really a matter of like, are you in their tribe or you're in one they're fighting. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And then uh, just to continue on a little bit, uh, getting into the breaking of the world itself. Um, I think this should be fairly obvious what what uh, 
myths might be being referenced here. Mm-hmm. That's your end of the world myth, the revelations, uh, Armageddon, that is, you know, it's definitely in Christianity. I mean, actually, uh, within Christianity, it could also be drawn to the, the destruction of the flood. It could also be drawn to the casting out of Eden. Like, it, it, like there, there have been, again, we find it cyclical. Um, anytime it's the, the uh, destruction of one side to, to push things into another area. In Norse myth, Ragnarok leads to the death of all the gods, but then there is a new age that starts afterwards, right? It's not the yes. end of yes. everything, it's the end of an age and the start of a new one. So it's again, so that I think is another approximation to the end of an age in Wheel of Time. And I don't remember my Norse mythology perfectly enough, but I don't remember if there's more than, like, has there been a Ragnarok and then the Ragnarok is coming? Or is, is Ragnarok the death of these particular gods and there was a, 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 different description of what brought about these gods and what will bring about the end of the gods that follow or what have you. I don't so, remember if Ragnarok is a cyclical thing. My understanding of Ragnarok is that it is a war between the gods that results, and, and I might be um, um, leaning too heavily on opera for this interpretation, but um, <laughs> once, once the war is over, the gods no longer exist and the age of humanity begins yeah that yeah so my, it's my, like the, the klingons just said you know what we're done we, we've killed all our gods we're <laughs> yeah, we, we're, we're gonna kill kalis because he's not yeah. serving us anymore and, and move on yeah well but, but i know that their their mythology also has to follow it uh i believe it's Yormagunder is the one that's going to swallow the world or something like that the 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 uh, worm that is like the world serpent. So the story, yes. the story of Ragnarok is a prophecy of something that's going to happen because the gods are still alive. And part of, you know, like being a, a good, uh, Norse warrior. So, you know, so that you do the right things and then you go to Valhalla and then you will fight with Thor and Odin in that big battle at the end, rather than with, you know, hell in coming out of hell's boats made out of nail clippings. Um, but it's all going to happen and everyone knows what's going to happen um, and they're all going to die. And that's okay because, you know, the world is kind, you know, this is, that's the way the world is. Everything ends. The gods happen to know what what's going to happen to them. Um, and then when they're all dead, then a new world is going ha to come about. And we don't know what's going to happen then, but it'll be interesting, right? There'll be yeah. something new to explore. One will still have men, and to a certain extent, men will then be, for lack of a better term, the gods of that. It's, it, it's a, it's almost the mentor dying so that the uh, mm -hmm. apprentice the, 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 the can Seth take the full form. The Sith has to kill its master exactly. before it can move on. Exactly. Mm -hmm. right. except, except that it's not humanity isn't killing it, right? It's, it's the gods are going to have a big war, and they're all going to die, and we'll be the rodents that survive. Yeah, it's we're more along the lines of we have to we have to the as storytellers kill off Obi Wan so that Luke can move from being a whiny brat to maybe <laughs> being something more, being a whiny Jedi. <laughs> exactly. Hi, I'm Doctor Pengalod. What seems to be ailing you today? Doc, it's the strangest thing. Every night after I've gone to bed, just as I start to drift off, I start yelling out strange words like Shire, Frodo, and Gollum. Last night I even yelled, Mordor! I really don't know what to do! Ah, yes. I've been seeing this a lot lately. What you're experiencing is called 
Tolkien in your sleep. It's caused by an acute Lord of the Rings deficiency. Tolkien in my sleep? Oh no, that sounds serious. Don't worry, don't worry. It's really common right now. It can be treated with a very simple prescription. Here, take this. It's called Watch Party Lord of the Rings. Watch Party Lord of the Rings? It's a great podcast where they talk about everything related to Lord of the Rings. They go deep into the lore, talk about the film trilogy, old cartoon adaptations, and Amazon's Lord of the Rings series. Listen to it once a week, and you'll stop Tolkien in your sleep in no time. Side effects of Watch Party Lord of the Rings may include happiness, giggling, merrymaking, jollification, witty banter, inner peace, enlightenment, and excessive Tolkien while awake. Caution, Watch Party Lord of the Rings may be addictive. DW, I want to go back and focus on something you said earlier about uh, Jormungandr, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Um, but the world serpent that is supposed to bring about Ragnarok by destroying the world or something to that effect, correct? Yes, I um, believe so, that is So a, a giant serpent that destroys the world. What does that sound like? Serpent is, is another is name this... for dragon. Mm-hmm. Ding, yeah, ding, ding, true. Ding. True. So he's either going to break the world or solve it. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to start. He's going to start. He has started. So Yomagunda is, is, I think, start gets the thing going. Yeah. Because, um, you know, Ragnarok is a whole series of events, right? And so what we saw in this first season is the start of a series of events that's going to run like, what was it, a dozen books or more? Um, yeah, yeah. Right? So the dragon does a really big thing right at the beginning, but isn't, like, the only important, like, character in this big... In, in, in Ragnarok, so in the same way, I guess, in Wheel of Time, we can expect the dragon isn't the only major character that we're going to see through the series. And, uh, oh, and also, just reminded me, the end of the first series, we have... Um, a fleet invading from somewhere, mysterious fleet from somewhere else coming to attack where the, you know, um, so again, hell bringing forth her, her, her armies of the dead that flock that on ships to attack. Um, I got to tell you this were somewhere were some amazing looking nail clippings, but no, ships. <laughs> um, so I'm not so, familiar with that part because the only thing I know about Norse mythology, I learned from Thor movies. So, <laughs> so something that just came up that that got me thinking um you said in norse mythology it's uh the the world serpent attempting to destroy the world that starts ragnarok but that is not the end and all of it ragnarok and i'm thinking about the actual breaking of the world which was started by the dragon but then went on for another 300 years so we could be post-Ragnarok, essentially. Or in the middle of it. Yeah, post-Ragnarok, post starting into the next Ragnarok, as it were. Yeah, and that's what I was saying, is I don't yeah. remember if it was cyclical, but it is clearly in this in this uh, story. But yeah, th see, this is what I mean. Like, the more I hear about these stories, the more I see how they parallel the way that this story is laid out. And yeah. But that's kind of one of the beautiful things I love about storytelling. I mean, I've, I've studied a lot of Shakespeare, and, and one of the things that he did that's amazing is he took fairy tales and then turned them on their ear. So where the fairy tale that you recognize worked, he took that very common concept, broke it, and then told a story with it. So when you study these things, you go, oh, now that I know that this has its roots in this fairy tale, 
Now I can also see where they changed it to make a new story. Mm-hmm. And, and history also. Yeah. He did the same thing with history. He did the same thing with history, although mm-hmm. some of them he got closer than he should have, and those stories got banned. Uh, because <laughs> certain royals didn't like him talking about their family members. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm just looking at my notes here, and I realize that I, I gave you just the 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 prompt of the breaking and then i have a number of notes next to it and i noticed that you hit every single one of the notes that i had except lost city lost uh continent of atlantis oh we did not touch on that yeah. where where everything i think we did though in the when we were first talking about all of this how the civilization had gotten to a point that's one of the things that's often put forward of, of yeah. atlantis that the civilization got to a point where oh it's so wonderful we don't need anything else and their their overconfidence is what destroyed them yeah very much so um, and then to to look into other, let's say, city-states, um, what do we think about the story of the fall of Manetherin? Anything from Babel to, um, uh, uh, oh, what was, the, what was the thing where they blew the horn and took down the walls? Um, Jericho. 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 Um, so, the, you know, from, Christ, from Judaism and Christianity, uh, like Old Testament stuff has mm-hmm. uh, several kind of places that fell like that. Um, I, I also see the story of Troy in there. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and, and with that, you've got um, um, Shatter Logoth mixed in, which used to be known as Eretol, which I believe that there are other kind of city-state myths that we can see wrapped up there. Yeah, I, I think tend to think of Shattered Logarth as a little more of a uh, of a uh, Sodom and Gomorrah parallel. Yeah, very much. Kind of, kind of a the turn to pillars of salt kind of situation. Right. Uh, literally salted the earth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's just interesting. We don't see a lot of you know modern cities failing like that. You know, yeah. You get some that come close. You know, with industries leaving and things like that, but it. You know, it it makes you wonder whether or not a lot of those things actually happened without a lot of, uh, you know, there there are some that are just sort of legend, but don't really have a archaeological, uh, you know, evidence to back it up. You yeah. know, your Atlantis and. But one of the things that. that is different now than was then is the community. Um, a lot of the cities have, you know, bonded together so that when, like, the United States has a city that's starting to run into problems, not always, but hopefully the government is there to kind of send help and help them from crossing that no-return barrier. If yeah, a, the- a flood hits a place, then you've got FEMA supposed to move in and help, you know, resolve the issue. If you've got, you know, uh, the, the city has financial issues that happen because a business left— Another business may swoop in, the government may do it, the state may try to protect that city, people may move out and find a new balance kind of thing. But having that community and other people involved that aren't necessarily part of that that thing, which is where we see maybe this is happening more on a country scale. Yeah. See, I'm thinking about Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. That's, that's yeah, that's 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 one that uh yeah. That, that's so your Shatter you, you logo have a, too. You have yeah. a catastrophe where everybody has to leave because, you know, the. It's the, not livable anymore. Yeah. Well, and I admit, I don't know what 
Chernobyl is like now? Like, I don't know. Is it habitable? I don't know. It, oh, are no. there people? Oh, no, no is it's it still not. it's still a wasteland. Yeah. No. Yes. So okay. it's now it's, a it's more like a nature preserve. Yeah. yeah. Like oh, well, a very toxic nature preserve. Uh, um, this is one of those things that's a, so it depends on how long you're going to live for. It's great <laughs> for he- it's great for hedgehogs. Bad for people, <laughs> which we know are good yeah. animals. Yes, right. Yeah, I'm. I'm also going to say, like, if you, our our world is full of cities and towns that have been abandoned, right? Like North America is covered in them. Um, ghost towns, ghost towns. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of them just you know like those small rather than big cities, but you know the reason for that urban area to exist went away you know the mine was emptied uh river changed course whatever people move out they get abandoned they fall to dust and then but you know if they're on the east coast they then get redeveloped into suburbs so you don't you you have to go really looking to find them but they're yeah and the the technology is a big thing too because you know 200 years ago or, you know, 300 years ago, probably, uh, you know, New Orleans after Katrina would have just been written off, you know, because you wouldn't have had the, you wouldn't have had the levees there. You wouldn't have had a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the mitigation efforts in place. So it would have just been done. And the other thing too, is, you know, like a city that was abandoned 4,000 years ago versus a town that's been abandoned, you know, 500 years ago, how much is going to be left? the nature of um, first off there's erosion the second bit there is if there is anything in that city that is worth foraging for people are going to take it you know the good rocks are going to go um although what i did want to bring up is that there is a really interesting new book that talks about the birth of civilization and postulates that our kind of standard theory of constant social progress is not true and that what happened back in the beginning of civilization is that civilizations formed in a whole bunch of different ways and a lot of them just went away again because they just didn't they you know they weren't needed and they and and came back and we have this this up and down um and there's a fair bit the evidence in eurasia is pretty difficult to find because it was a long time ago and a lot of stuff went on top of it but the best example of it happened in the midwest in the u.s um just a couple of hundred years before the europeans showed up um there was this huge city-state that um had developed into an empire that touched most of like the central u.s um but it seems that it got uh, too oppressive, and so all of the people, you know, all of the rural tribes and cultures that touched it said, "No, we don't want to. We don't want to be involved. We don't want. We don't want to be part of you. Get lost." And they weren't able to. They didn't have the military capability to enforce their rule on it. So the city collapsed because it just didn't have an agricultural trade base. But there is evidence of this city all over the place. Um, and it's the Kahoika, uh, I think. Something like that. I know it's yeah. in Civilization video games. Um, uh, but 
anyway, anyway, what that talks to is that, like, yeah, we we have a lot. There is a lot of evidence that cities and and whole civilizations have been and gone, and they and there are just like little footprints left. And what was going on in there, we really will net. We can't know because there are aren't the kind of records, right? Um, to describe what was what was going on there. So we end up, you know, archaeologists are doing a whole lot of guesswork. Although that guesswork is a lot has got a lot more interesting in, in recent years because oh my god the technology and the drugs, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but the technology we we can like satellites and stuff allow it uh, make it possible to look from the air and see um, evidence of yeah. cities that disappeared several thousand years ago well, just because of the way they changed the, the environment scanning that can actually see through the the foliage mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, there's been a lot of really interesting finds from yeah. that. Yeah, a lot, yeah. a lot of that in Central America recently mm -hmm. too. And um, again, talking talking of uh, lost civilizations, there was the city in Cambodia that the French lost. Um. Uh, not Angkor Wat. Uh, Angkor, I think it was Angkor Wat. Yeah, the thing but, like it's been rediscovered, but it was the French lost it because with the technology that they had access to after it was discovered wasn't good enough to get to, to make an accurate map through the jungle so was this a a, a city where people lived or no no it was a it, it was, was a, an archaeological city. yeah okay. an archaeological discovery but on the other side of a big jungle that kept changing yeah right yeah Anyway, getting back to the topic at hand, I just wanted to say how glad I am that we had some technical issues that made us decide to turn off our cameras for this episode, because holy shit, y'all have no idea how hard I would have had to try to keep a straight face during most of this. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm always sad when Saima isn't here, but I also don't do not think that Saima would have been able to uh, survive through this. Bleeding <laughs> <laughs> would have been a bit much. I yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and and so yeah, we're we're gonna get back into into it in a second. But while we were gone, Axel did some research and and came back to us with a clarification. Uh, Axel, what was that? Okay, so um, Nagalfar is the name of the boat made out of fingernails and toenails. Not just toenail clippings, as I had previously stated, um, that will be used by hell to transport um, armies of monsters from, from, from her domain to the battlefield where Ragnarok will take place. Um, at the end of the, at the end of the, that age. Um, there you have it. So save yep. your toenail clippings and fingernail yeah. clippings. Somebody so, needs so, to tell Taika Waititi this so that we can have that show up in the next Thor movie. So is this like the tooth fairy? <laughs> you leave your toenails <laughs> yeah. clippings <laughs> under your pillow for hell. I, I gotta say, given that hell has appeared in the Marv in the MCU, I am really disappointed that we didn't see her boat. You uh, know, no, Taika, that's a, you just didn't know about it yet. Hell yeah, hath no fury as a toenail sailed. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm, I'm suddenly just seeing an aircraft carrier made out of toenails covered in monsters showing up. It, 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 I, I'm loving this idea. The I, Keratin that, that's Cruiser. <laughs> an enormous troop carrier. But like aircraft carrier size sounds about right to me. I, I, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's just too good a visual not to exist. Exactly. Yeah, really. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and, and we have a... a 
thing about making things happen on this show. So if you're listening and you're an <laughs> artist. Or, and you uh, know Taika Waititi, let him yeah, know this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but if you're an artist, we want our aircraft carrier made out of toenails transporting demons and, and evil creatures. Yeah. That's right. We said it. Okay. This has turned into a very long episode and we did not even get through half of my notes. So as, as expected, this is going to be a multi-part series. In the meantime, you can reach out to us and uh, contact us at uh, whatwatchparty at gmail. That's w-o-t-watchparty at gmail.com. Also, we're available on uh, Twitter and Instagram at whatwatchparty. Uh, go find us there. Uh, like usual, we want to say thank you to Michael and Jen for putting this whole thing together for us. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank, thank you, you, Michael, Michael and, Jen. and Jen. And final question for the panel. You get to see your favorite myth come to life in the Wheel of Time somehow. What is that favorite myth and, and who do you see bringing it to life? I don't know if this is necessarily my favorite, but it's it's a story that I've repeatedly been drawn back to and enjoyed the tellings of, and that's the whole concept of uh, Demeter, Persephone, and Hades, and the the um, I think it's a pomegranate mm -hmm. that she succeeds yes. of, um, and that's why we have autumn and and fall. And I've always been fascinated by that one, like that the 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 use of the stories to explain things that are you know, actually now scientifically explainable, but like the, the application of that story to, to create that has always been very interesting to me. And I don't know how, but there may be a way to, to weave that story into this somehow. Yeah. What if there is a, uh, you know, a, a, a wealthy family in Andor that goes out to, uh, goes out to witness, uh, some sort of cultural event and as they're walking through an alley uh the uh the parents are murdered and there's a young boy <laughs> there that will inherit all of the wealth of this family and turns everything into trying to find the person that that orphaned them and meanwhile becomes some sort of vigilante hero of, of andor oh, boy and they saw a rat jump out at them and it inspired fear in them and they decided to use that fear oh, as, as their their yes. talent their their, their 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 shtick and so they become the man rat yes well, and, they, <laughs> and they repeatedly kept taking on young children to help them and then they'd lose that one and so they'd find a new young child yeah and of course the rats came out because they were going after the pearls that were rolling across the <laughs> The alleyway. You have to have uh, the pearls. Absolutely have to have the pearls. Actually, yeah, I would really like to see them having to. I really like the idea of, let's say, Moraine having to take on the role of Hercules in the Orgean stables. I think that would oh. be glorious. Can uh, you use the one power to shovel horseshit? Yep. <laughs> so. So I don't have a specific story, but I am really fascinated by trickster mythology. So, um, you know, a Nancy or Br'er Rabbit, something like that, I think. Basically, I, I, I would like to see more trickster stories.
Yeah, we're just hearing yep. bunk, bunk, beep, bunk, beep, bunk, beep, from you, Stefan. Kind of sound like a robotic chicken. Bacock. <laughs> Stupid monkey. <laughs> Bacock.